Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. Man, I'm feeling this weather outside. I'm thinking baseball and spring football and not really thinking about spring football, but I know you are. You're on top of it. We're going to talk almost nothing but spring football today, so buckle up for a discussion of... Until the end. Until the end. We'll veer off at the end for a couple other uh, broader subjects that interest us, but it's mostly spring football to start. Here's our here's our rough outline for today. Uh, you got to see an open practice session. We'll get a little description of, of what you saw there. Uh, QB not being Fuente's top priority or most uh, largest concern. We'll get into that. Uh, tailback, wide receivers, tight ends. Who's the 2017 version of Sam Rogers? Is there one? Uh, the d- defensive end uh, being very, very thin. Uh, and Virginia Tech odds to w- win the national title, which I, I blogged about uh, this week. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we'll touch on baseball, and we'll touch on the national title game. Uh, so you can check out early if you're just here for the football. But we'll, we'll, most of it will be football. I want to start because I promised you that you would love this Aussie when he arrived to town. Uh, the Aussie punter, Oscar Bradburn, met the press yesterday or was it two days ago it was yesterday yesterday okay we're taping this on wednesday so you met you met him on tuesday what did you think of oscar i thought he was great i mean the accent alone was going to make him great but then he had relatable stories very mature very well spoken uh you know talking about the the cultural differences between the u.s and australia and the little language barrier a little crocodile Dundee moment uh, in class. Asked a girl if she had a rubber, which in Australia means eraser. And you can imagine the awkwardness that ensues about that. When he said that, that's like journalism gold right There's, there. Every single one of us in the room is like, there it is. That's the lead. Sorry. Done. Chip change 500. We're done here, guys. And there, there's no better way to endear yourself to sports writers than a sophomoric anecdote like that yeah a sophomoric <laughs> anecdote that's just like perfect and it had a funny comment about it i could finish open and close my story with it with stuff in between uh it was fantastic i wish every interview would be like that because that's that's what you look for when you're interviewing somebody yeah i went back and watched the clip of that's not a knife this is a knife from uh, crocodile dundee and boy that thing has not aged well that's pretty racist. What year? That, was that like a mid-80s movie? Yeah. yeah. I mean, as soon as the, the, the young black male comes out with, with his switchblade and just start playing his baseline music beneath, and of course, uh, Paul is uh, you know calm throughout it all, and he stabs him in his Michael Jackson jacket. And I mean, it's still a good clip. Don't get me wrong. When he pulls out the knife, it's still a money money moment some of these history but some of these things do not age well over time let me guess he came from it came out through the milk inner city the the rough and tumble inner city that uh this uh gang member had a knife with or how about like revenge of the nerds when the black fraternity comes on at the end and they start playing that uh bass music Uh, i don't know man it i don't i don't want to get too far into the but that was was (laughs) pre-pc there's yeah there's some insensitivities i think from the 80s that uh uh Thankfully, have kind of gone by the wayside and been carved out of, of, of cinema these days. Well, but Brad, Bradburn, the interesting thing about him is he sounds like he's a pretty good punter, too. It's not like just a great story for us. Like, uh, you know, everybody has said that he can really boom the ball. Like, you know, I think somebody coined the phrase, it's a booming onion uh, if, he, if he has a big punt. Uh, that'll be a, 
uh, repeated ad nauseum in the fall, I think, if he, if he has a good punt or anything like that. Uh, he isn't, he's played Australian rules football. That's his background. Uh, went to an Australia kicking camp. Uh, there's been the last four Ray Guy award winners have been Australians. So there's, I saw that in your story. That's fascinating. Yeah, there's this just movement of guys coming from this pro kick Australia camp coming over here. The UNC punter last year uh, was an Australian. I think this year there will be three Aussie punters in the ACC. Uh, so it, it sounds like you know he's adjusted pretty well. Uh, you know he, he said the other day that he he faced a, a, a punt rush for the first time where there was a line of guys running at him. And, you know, everybody's like, Oh my, all of us media members are like, Oh my gosh, that's probably concerning uh, for Virginia tech. Cause he's never faced a punt rush. He's like, well, I've kind of faced an Australian roots football before, except they come at you from 360 degrees all the time. It's like, okay, well maybe facing this punt rush from one direction is not that big of a deal. But um, you know, it's not like they, they're asking him to go out there and analyze a defense and, you know, check off a zone blitz and go to something. They're not asking him to do all that stuff. He has to catch the ball and he has to punt the ball. So uh, I think he'll probably be able to make a, a pretty seamless adjustment because all these other Australian guys have come from the same kicking camp and done the same thing. Is he going to be okay? I think the quote would be, I'm always okay when I'm around you, Oscar Bradburn. That's what the chick says in uh, Crocodile Dundee when he asks if I have if not she's seen okay. that movie in a long time. Maybe I posted I need... the clip on Twitter just for your your viewing. Maybe I need to review uh, my Crocodile Dundee. You, you think Australians are just sick of the fact that that is the go-to reference that all Americans make about anything that they have in this country? It's either that. It's either that, or it's the Fosters for beer commercial. Like I mean, it's just those are the two go-to references that. Anybody will make, and I feel like we're kind of dropping the ball by not referencing anything from that Simpsons episode, which, in my opinion, is a top ten episode for the Simpsons. Uh, Australia uh, going down there for the, uh, you know, Bart makes the crank call and they, about the bidet <laughs> or the did toilet you, running, and it, it's a great episode. Didn't you have in your story though that he has a good boot? He has quite a boot, I think you said. Yeah, I, I, I think did it was say subconsciously that. Subconsciously, you were oh, yeah. referencing. Oh, that. it wasn't even subconscious. I was. Just straight up referencing the the booting, See, the, the, the prime minister booting Bart through the gate of the embassy in, in Australia. It's a great episode. Go yeah. watch that episode. Well, welcome, Oscar. We're we're happy to have you in, in the area. Uh, it's good to have you. Now we need to get a Venezuelan on this team because I've told you before those. Are, you know, they did a study of the happiest. They do it every year. They're the happiest countries in the world, and they're all like Scandinavian countries. But like they all have free healthcare. Beyond beyond the like Sweden and Norway is like Australia is like next on the list, and like we're we're like eleventh or something. Like we're not like we're not a very self-loathing <laughs> Americans here. They have everything in the world that you could possibly want. Just still like this sucks. <laughs> this sucks. I got too many Starbucks in my neighborhood. Okay, open practice session. You got to see it. Um, that's a rarity in in at Virginia Tech. Uh, you got to see what about fifty minutes? Of... Fifty minutes. It was actually eleven periods that we got to see. What were the highlights? What did you see? Ah, uh, well, it's, there's only so much you can see on the second practice of the spring. I mean, they're still in shorts, no pads. So you know, the, you know as Fuente said, they're running around in pajamas there, basically. So it's not like you're seeing real football. Uh, but I will say, you know, one thing, Fuente said, ball security is going to be a big. Uh, you know, focus this spring and I, I saw several drills that were devoted just strictly to ball security where they do drills and uh, it's not like the coaches are trying to knock the ball out just during the drill like guys will be standing in line the coaches will come behind and just like knock it out <laughs> just like you know he's like hey I was, stand I was standing here and he just knocked the ball loose 
the punishment of that is up downs for everybody and the in individual drills and you know guys will have to run over to where the trainer is and do a set of up downs before they could run back into the drill so you know Fuente brought that up in his pre-spring press conference about you know ball security and how many times they fumbled last year uh that's sort of the he just irks him so much I mean you saw it a number of times I mean, how often did Trayvon McMillan had a fumble early in a game and he'd get yanked for the rest of the game and not come back in until third quarter. Uh, Steven Peoples was going to have a big role at Notre Dame. It seemed like he fumbled and came out of the game. Uh, didn't return. I didn't have a, a major role in that game at all. So he really likes guys that can hold on to the football. So that'll be a focus. Uh, I, I think it's interesting. You can see the youth at receiver quite a bit. I was watching some of these drills and they were running just sort of a quick screen uh, where it's a simple pass. I mean, the, you know, the, the quarterback just gets a snap, throws it out real quick out wide on the guy that's sort of cutting in on this sort of bubble screen type deal and or inside screen type deal. And the number of drops that they had just of those guys where it's it's a real short pass, real simple. There's no defender in your face, really. Uh, that's telling. That's telling about how young and inexperienced this, this wide receiver group is. And I, I don't imagine you had a lot of those when you had – Isaiah Ford, Cam Phillips, Bucky Hodges is the primary guys you're throwing that to. But now it's Cam Phillips, uh, you know, C.J. Carroll's out for the spring. So a lot of youth and inexperience beyond that. I think that was the thing that sort of stuck out to me as well. But uh, you saw that. You could see that. That was very plain to see just for, uh, you know, uh, the layman's eye like myself. Did you see any circus catches? Because I remember, you know, when you watched like Bucky warm up before a game, you'd just be like, wow, that's something like not many people can do. What he just did, reaching up with one hand and spearing it with his giant paw you know that was an isaiah ford special you almost wondered if isaiah ford had two hands when he was in practice because he would just like casually just like yank it out of the 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 air i mean he did one at the independence bowl i remember we all down there watching and he was in the back of the end zone and just kind of like it was an odell beckham like swipe your hand across uh you know right on the end line get two toes down and he just did so casually that it was like wow (laughs) this guy's really good uh didn't see a lot of that I think these guys are probably worried about catching the ball with two hands before they get to the right. stage where they're doing stuff like that. But, you know, that's the process. That's what it is for guys that are second-year players or redshirt freshmen that have never seen the field before. How would you characterize uh, Justin Fuente's demeanor in practice? Is he a yeller? Is he a calm guy? How is he? He is fairly calm, but he can crank it up when he needs to. Uh, you know, I think he sort of is a, an observer, and he'll stand there and watch. But, man, if somebody does a drill wrong – like, you know, they line up on the, the end zone and the end line, the goal line in the end zone uh, in three rows to do a, a ball security drill where they kind of run up to the five-yard line. Then they, you know, break it down and they're down on the ground. They roll one way, roll the other way. Uh, so they did that and they were lining up. And the first group was not – did not do it right. <laughs> Whatever it was, they did not take the instructions right. And that's when he stepped in because I think what, what bothers him most is – People aren't listening, and that leads to wasting time. And he wants people to get the instructions, to follow the instructions, and do what they want to do. Because if you don't do that, you can't get to the stuff that that matters. You, you know, if you don't follow the instructions right, you're not getting the ball security part of that drill done. So uh, I think when you're when it wastes time like that, and people aren't listening, I think that's the stuff that bothers him the most. And that's when he sort of talks up, and he he can dress down people now. When when he gets into it, he can get going on somebody and. I won't say the name of the player, but I saw one in the offseason workouts where he just he drilled into that guy pretty good uh, at the end when they were doing their their line drills. So, uh, you know, mostly sort of a a calm, laid back type of guy. I think he's he's somebody that if somebody makes a mistake on the fly, 
uh, you know, they'll fix it in film. They don't want to waste time by doing that. But when the whole group doesn't listen to what he's doing, that's when it really kind of sets him off. Yeah, well, that it's good to bring us to our next topic, which is, you know, you had this in your blog that, uh, you know, there's an interesting quote about quarterbacks that Justin Fuente had. Uh, you know, I think we all assume that quarterback is the, is the most pressing issue in camp, and it's, it's the number one priority for everyone to figure out who that's going to be. Uh, and to groom that person, whoever it ends up being. But uh, that may not be the case, at least, you know, the public face that he's putting on this competition isn't isn't that. Yeah, he was asked about the quarterbacks, and he, he said, I'm much more concerned about the sorting cast, I can tell you that much. And then he went on to say, and, you know, this is a, a quote I'm reading off the blog, uh, to me, we'll figure out who's going to start, but we have to find find some guys who can play alongside them. My biggest concern is we'll find somebody to play quarterback, and we won't be good enough around them to kind of highlight their skill set. Last year we didn't have that problem. Gerard played very played really well and was very effective for us. And we had people around that people around that helped highlight those skill sets. I'm having trouble reading today, but uh, the point is, uh, you know, if the quarterback they find the quarterback that's pretty good, uh, they still have to find guys around them that are going to complement those skills. And last year Gerard was good, but you know you also had Isaiah and you had Bucky and you had Sam Rogers and you had. Uh, an experienced offensive line with uh, Conte and McLaughlin on that right side. I mean, there were a lot of guys around that helped Gerard be that good. So uh, while we're looking at this uh, offseason going, who's going to play quarterback? I mean, Gerard was such an important part of that. I think Fuente's going, well, who's going to be my other two wide receivers with Cam Phillips? Uh, and who's going to who's gonna run the ball? They still didn't find a running back last year. Who's going to do all the things that Sam Rogers did? I mean, all those things that made this offense effective last year, I think that's what really concerns him. Uh, more than maybe finding a quarterback. I, th- I think maybe that's a sign that he feels pretty good about Josh Jackson uh, and what he saw last year. I mean, obviously, Jackson popped up in the competition in August. Uh, he has to feel pretty good if he, if he did that, and I don't necessarily think it was just a, a showy type thing or he did that to, on a whim to try to you know, maybe light a fire under those guys, but I don't think he did it, went out of his way to say that. It doesn't seem like something he would do, so... Uh, I think he likes Jackson and what likes what he brings to the table and the other quarterbacks that they have there. I think I think stuff like receiver and the experience elsewhere in the offensive line, that's what really kind of maybe, I don't want to say keeps him up at night, but at least uh, makes him worry a little bit. Well, let's mark it down. This is our first instance of the spring of reading the tea leaves and reading between the lines and trying to figure out what he meant about his quarterback because we'll be doing a lot of that between now and, and the end that's of August. That's what they pay us to do, that's right. man. That's we, right. we don't just read stuff and go, oh, that's what exactly what they meant. That's what they said. We have to go, but here's what he really meant. <laughs> but I think it's also a good message to your team because, you know, if you're, if you're just basically saying we got one thing that's really a big deal and everything else is kind of secondary, well, then everyone else is, you know, not as important as your quarterback. You know, now now everyone can read that quote and say, wow, my position is very important. Uh, my role in this team is valued. Um, I'm going to bust it today just like, I you know, I do every day and, and try to win that job. Let's go to tailback because you just mentioned tailback. Uh, where's that competition now? Uh, who's the front runner? Uh, is it going to be two, three? How many do you think it will ultimately be? I have no idea. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, oh, I mean, running back, I just, I have no idea. And I, th- I don't think last year provided any kind of clarity to how they're going to use those running backs. Uh, I, the one thing I know is he won't stand for fumbles. So if a guy's fumbling, he just won't play that much. That's all there is to it. But Something about Trayvon McMillan, they just they don't seem to think that he's everything they're looking for in a running back. You know, Trayvon had some blocking issues last year. He fumbled it a little bit last year, and those are two big things. I mean, they, you know, Fuente will say 
it's not just about what the what you're doing when the ball's in your hands. It's what else can you contribute to the offense. And and blocking's a big part of that. You know, I remember a couple occasions where Trayvon threw up some Olay blocks that, you know, got some guys hit. I think Cam Phillips got uh, decleated on one uh, a wide receiver screen when McMillan missed a block out there. I think it was against Miami. Uh, but you know, he, he seems like a guy that, you know, he had a huge game against Miami last year, running the ball. He had a, a couple of, one or two other hundred yard games last year. It seems like that's the guy that has that most kind of home run potential or big kind of gain potential. And I think he averaged still, still averaged something like 4.6 yards per carry and scored 10 touchdowns, seven rushing, three receiving. Uh, but there's just something that I, it's tough to put my finger on. The coaching staff just doesn't quite completely buy the fact that he's the, far and away the best running back there. And that opens it up for other people. I mean, you got Stephen Peoples working at tailback this this year instead of H-back tight end, the, the kind of role that he played last year. Uh, Deshaun McLeese is back from shoulder surgery, uh, missed most of the year last year, almost all of it. Uh, still kind of limited right now, but I, I think he's somebody they're interested in seeing. Um, DJ Reed maybe could get in the mix. Terrius Wheatley is a fourth union guy. His dad was Tyrone Wheatley. Uh, pretty, pretty good running back in his own right. Those are good genes yeah. to have. Uh, maybe it's unfair pressure to put on a newcomer like that, but I think he could work into the mix. Uh, they signed a guy, Jalen Holston, that, you know, for, from the sounds of it, might be a guy that could contribute right away. So uh, I don't think it's going to be one guy. I think it's going to be two or three. But right now, I, I just could not tell you what kind of rotation or who's going to be the, the, the primary ball carrier next year. Do you think Peoples has the most Sam Rogers in him? I mean, sort of the versatile Swiss Army knife type. I mean, he's a Galax guy. He right? is. I don't know about that. I think they're they're pretty high on this Dalton Keene. Okay. Uh, he's a an early enrollee from Colorado. His his dad was a college roommate and teammate of Charlie Wiles. That was the connection they had. It's kind of unusual for a guy to come in from Colorado from to Virginia Tech. Uh, he's an early enrollee, and it sounds like he's doing a lot of that stuff. Uh, obviously you're not going to do it at the level that Sam Rogers did as a, a true freshman, but I think they like his versatility and the fact that they move peoples from H back to tailback tells me that they want to open that up for him. Uh, and there's some other guys, Drake DeUlgis, I think is how you say his name. He'll be a freshman that's arriving this year. He's sort of another one of those, uh, versatile type H back tight ends guys. Uh, so I think that might be the plan with those guys. I don't know. I haven't seen too much of them in action, but, uh, I don't know if you necessarily replace all the stuff that Sam Rogers did with one guy. How would you like to room with Charlie Wiles in college? I think that'd be a lot. That would have been great. Fun, yeah. I think you'd be laughing. We, we the whole have been time. joking because James Shebest, the special teams coordinator, talked to us yesterday, and he's a real country guy, uh, you know, deep Southern accent, and him and Charlie seem like the same guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we've been saying, they should send those two on like a road trip across America or something like that. Film Just, it all. To have it as a TV show. I would watch the heck out of that show. That'd be so entertaining just to hear those guys have a, a conversation in the car for however many hours they're driving up. <laughs> now, uh, I mean, you've touched on the wide receivers and sort of the drops that you saw in the, in the open, open practice, but uh, any, any more clarity on them than we've had uh, before we started here? Well, I, I think the guys that stand out are a couple of second year players on the outside. You've got Phil Patterson who redshirted last year. You've got Eric Kuma. Uh, who played a little bit mostly on special teams. I think those are the the primary guys that you would look uh, to be with Cam Phillips on the outside. Uh, Henry Murphy is a junior college guy from last year uh, who I, I think, you know, he made sort of an impact on kick returns, did some stuff on jet sweeps, but I think they'll expect him to do more stuff in an outside receiver fashion. On the inside, Khalil Pimpleton uh, was working with the ones when we watched 
Uh, he's 5'8", like 150 pounds, and you go, well, you know, this guy's going to get destroyed, but it's, you have to catch him first. <laughs> he's a tough guy to catch from the looks of it. A real shifty guy in the slot. Uh, I think when C.J. Carroll is healthy, he'll be in the mix there. So I mean, those are some of the guys uh, that they might be expecting to, to step up into bigger roles. It's just that, you know, four of the six guys I just mentioned there haven't really done a whole lot at receiver. Uh, one is brand new to college this semester. Two didn't play a whole lot last year, if at all. So uh, you're going from, you know, Isaiah Ford and Bucky Hodges, the first and fifth all-time leading receivers in Virginia Tech history, to this sort of inexperience. That is quite a drop-off. I know you have Cam Phillips, and he's he's third, I think, on the all-time receiving list at Virginia Tech. Just amazing, the receivers that they've had the last couple of years. Uh, but that's a position they're going to have to build from the bottom up. And, you know, I think some... Some newcomers coming in in the in the summer. Sean Zavoy, Hezekiah Grimsley, I think, could both be guys who could get on the field. But uh, they've got to find guys now and feel a little bit more comfortable about that by the end of the spring, and, and that'll be a process. You've mentioned Pimpleton's elusiveness on, on multiple podcasts now. I'm looking forward to seeing him in action. Well, there's a, there's a YouTube clip of him at, like, a, uh, some recruiting camp or whatever, and, you know, they do those one-on-one drills, and he did something that just left a guy's jock on the field. And, you know, it's one of those deals where, like, he does it, and then everybody in the camp just goes running off in the other direction because they're like, oh, my gosh, that was the greatest move. He's got that kind of elusiveness. I think that's why uh, you hear the coaches talk about, uh, you know, they mentioned him. I think they mentioned Savoy. Brad Cornelson, the offensive coordinator, was pretty excited about the playmaking ability of some of these guys because they they needed guys that could get the ball and just make the defense miss, just right. make a play on the defense. You know, Isaiah Ford, Bucky Hodges, Cam Phillips, I wouldn't exactly call those guys those kind of players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't say – I never thought Isaiah was like, oh, get him the ball and he'll make something happen. He was a guy that would just get open down the field. He was big. And, or win 50-50 yeah, battles. He, he yeah, he had a knack for getting open uh, and had a knack for making plays when the ball was in the air. But I think some of these guys are – you can get them the ball on a screen real quick or a jet sweep, real easy ways. It's almost like an extended handoff to these guys. And then they're going to do something interesting with it once they get it. So I think that's what has, uh, you know, sort of a tantalizing excitement about these guys. But they have to bring that experience on to match that sort of uh, physical ability. Yeah, I pull for the little guys. I mean, I know it's a different sport, but, you know, Altuve winning batting titles and Marcus Stroman being the smallest guy on the USA baseball team carving up Puerto Rico in the World Baseball Classic final. Uh, it, it it's fun. I mean, Dustin Pedroia going a few years back farther, but it, it's it's cool to see uh, little guys. And I think they have, you know, throughout their lives, they have to uh, perform better than somebody who's got a similar skill set but is bigger because uh, they're going to be overlooked the entire time. I mean, did he have you talked to him yet? At, at we all? haven't talked to okay. him. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm wondering if we will because it's sort of you know true freshman sort of off limits for a while. Uh, maybe by the end of the spring, something like that. But there is sort of a like a an everyman quality to somebody that size. Sure. It's like, well, I can't relate to Bucky Hodges. He's six seven, two hundred and fifty pounds. Or I can't relate to Yash Nijman. He's six seven, three hundred and you know carved like. Adonis on, on the left tackle. Those guys just, that's not me. And like, I'm not saying I have the elusiveness of Khalil Pippola, but you know, he's five, eight, you know, yeah, I can relate to somebody who's five, eight, six, seven. That's a little bit harder to do. We can relate, but then we also question and question and question because that's part of our job. Oh, yeah, when JC absolutely. Coleman was here, you never know, big enough. Well, never big, physics yeah. is going to take over at some point, JC, you know, uh, I think there's a difference between that as a running back yeah. and a slot receiver. And a slot receiver, you can get him out in space. I mean, look at C.J. Carroll last year. I, you know, I, I admit it. I underestimated what he could do, and 
he was a real factor in a couple of those games. And you know, if you can get open, you can get open. Now you were really proud of a tweet that involved C.J. Carroll. Would you like to describe that for us? Oh, it was uh, we interviewed Tyrell Smith, uh, offensive lineman, uh, large offensive lineman, 300 pounds. And then C.J. Carroll is 5'8", 170, something like that. They're best friends on the team. And they look quite a bit like Robin Big from the old MTV show from the mid-2000s. And apparently people call them that all the time. So they kind of embraced it. Uh, so I thought that was a good tweet. Uh, I put the pictures side by side of those two. Anytime I can call back to a mid-2000s MTV show, then I'm okay with it. I thought they looked more like that the characters in that horrible movie you made me watch because you said it was amazing. Beverly Hills Ninja or whatever. Uh, Malibu's <laughs> Most Wanted? Yeah. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. First of all, I didn't say it was a great movie. I said it was better than you thought it would be. And second of all, I, I feel like you went in with a bad attitude when you were watching that. <laughs> Sometimes you do that. You're like, oh, this. I'm not going to like this movie because you said it was decent. I like the Jamie Kennedy experience, that show that he had. That I'm not going to go that far. You didn't like Jamie Kennedy yeah. experience? Yeah. Really? No. Okay. All right. Let's move on. He's better in small doses. Uh, <laughs> Uh, news, uh, Sean Gaines is going to miss, uh, he's a defensive end. He's going to miss the entire spring, right? Because of an academic. Sounds uh, like it. I, I would expect him to miss the entire spring. And that's, you know, you don't want to say it's a concern because it's not like they play a game tomorrow. It's not like Clemson's on the schedule tomorrow and they go, how are they going to fill these defensive end spots? Uh, but you don't have Vinny Mahota for the spring. He had shoulder surgery in the off season. You probably don't have Trayvon Hill for most of it. He had shoulder surgery too. Uh, it's sort of a question whether he'd be able to do a little bit of stuff. Uh, there's not a lot of defensive end depth right now. Whether you look at the, the guys that are getting reps there, and it's two converted outside linebackers, Raymond Miner and Emmanuel Belmar, a converted tight end, and then Xavier Burke. And uh, you know Jimmy Taylor is a, a redshirt freshman who they had designs to move inside a defensive tackle. Now it sounds like he might get some work at defensive end just because they're so thin there. Uh, so you, you probably know what your starting lineup is going to be come fall. But right now you just don't have a lot of guys with any experience there. And, you know, it's tougher to get offensive tackles, you know, good reps if that's the case. Uh, you sort of really have to start slow. I mean, any injuries or any other uh, more trouble there at defensive end, you wonder how they can even put on a spring game or any, you know, it's, it's going to have to be offense defense because they don't have enough to split the two teams. And isn't it reasonable to assume that the quarterback's not going to get as much pressure as yeah, he would have? Yeah, probably. I mean, it, if you don't have somebody like Trayvon or, or uh, Vinny coming off the ends, yeah, it's not going to be as, as effective of a, a sort of a look at what a real pass rush is like. So uh, that's sort of a problem area, but, it is spring, and uh, you know Fuente said the other day maybe it's sort of a, a blessing in disguise because it gives all those other guys reps. You know, you, you probably know what you're getting from from Vinny and Trayvon, even though they're not you know seniors necessarily. They could probably use some more work themselves, but it's important to get that depth. And they they have a big class of defensive ends coming in in the summer: Nathan Proctor, Taiwan Garbett, Zion Debose. Uh, some good names, uh, by the way, in that defensive end yeah. group. Uh, Robert Porcher, the fourth. Uh, son of an NFL player. So there's a lot of defensive linemen coming in in the summer. So that'll alleviate a little bit of that. But it's going to be a little hairy here for the next couple of weeks, uh, especially if you get those you know bumps and bruises that you typically get in the spring. It's a little rough. I love that we can talk for like an hour about spring practice, and then, but we can also default to, eh, it's only spring. I mean, you can make it as big or as little of a deal as you want. It's just like sports in general. Like any sport can be as much of a – you can care about – 
spring training or the World Baseball Classic, or you cannot. Uh, well, we have to make a big deal out of it because I am a football writer. Right. And this is the only football that's going on for the next six months. So right, this, has, this has to be a big deal. But at the same time, I'm realistic and I understand that it's practice. We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice here. Practice, you know. I do think you hurt your brand a little bit when you say, "Yeah, it's only spring." Well, I I try to be honest with people, but this is what I do for a living. So right. we'll bring we'll bring it back to earth after making it out to be the biggest deal in the world. Hey, what you're writing about is always more interesting than what I am, or or more more well read. Uh, this is what people want to talk about. People are year-round hokey fans around here so uh we try but to not when it want. comes to gambling everybody loves gambling <laughs> well that's that's a good segue thank you i know uh that's gonna move us right into i our... saw you going there and i wanted to steal it <laughs> let's uh I, I did a blog post the other day i mean I did, it was a tuesday and I, there was really nothing on tv nothing to, to to pump up at all and so i kind of went and looked at the um, national title odds and virginia tech is 50 to 1 and i don't think that's a uh you know a line that you should bet i don't mean, i don't think there's a lot of value to the to tech being 50 to 1 what i found interesting about tech being 50 to 1 is that that ties them for 16th place with florida and oklahoma state uh, on the list of odds uh, according to vegasinsider.com now you know you and i have talked on this podcast before and i'm sure we will talk heading into the you know august practices that where about where we think the hokies belong in terms of the preseason expectations and we think they're a top 25 fringe top 25 team like somewhere yeah, around 26 you know something like that but if you're tied for 16 on the odds that shows you i think that there's a lot of respect in vegas uh, from the lines makers on what on what just Justin Puente can make of, of this team despite all of the departures. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I think there were sort of the same questions last year about this team. It's like, oh, how's this offense going to come together? Brand new quarterback. Uh, obviously, Gerard a little more accomplished than uh, what these other guys have done so far in their careers. Uh, and he exceeded all sorts of expectations there. And he's been, I mean, he's he's been a head coach five years. And he's won coach of the year twice. So obviously there's a good foundation there and there's a lot of respect for what he's able to do and, and sort of bring together as a team, even if it's a, a situation like this, where there's so much turnover and so many question marks. So I think uh, that's sort of what you see there is, Oh, there's a, you know, Bud Foster's there and he always has the defense going well. Fuente will figure out something on the offense. And I think that's where that respect comes from. Uh, I think it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, you listed the odds. Miami was 85 to one. Georgia Tech after that was 225 to one. So I'd say it's really Virginia Tech and Miami is those top two teams in the coastal, which it, I think based on the defenses that are coming back for both of those schools, that makes sense. Uh, I've seen some top 25s that have Miami, like 15th and Virginia Tech, you know, fringe 25th or 26th, something like that. And I, I wonder. Is there really that big of a difference between those two schools? I mean, Virginia Tech beat them handily last year. They both lost their star quarterback, both lost some offensive pieces, both have a lot coming back on defense. Uh, you know, one school has won four ACC titles and just played in the ACC championship game last year, and the other has never won the division since coming to the ACC. But that matchup's in Miami. This yeah, year. it is, but I don't feel like that's this huge, overwhelming uh, home field advantage that Miami has. I mean, it, if the game's not a, a night game, is anybody going to show up to that? Right. If it's a noon game on <laughs> just some random Saturday, is anybody going to show up to that game? So uh, if I had to give the edge right now, I maybe would give a slight nod to Virginia Tech just based on history between those two schools because for as much as every year everybody's like, Miami's back, uh, it still never quite materializes. Now this is maybe something different because it's Mark Richt. And, uh, you know, he's Q 
killing it on the recruiting trail right now. I think Miami has the number one recruiting class. Uh, I think there's a lot of talent there and maybe, you know, Mark Richt for all the stuff that people said about him at Georgia, he still had some top five teams when he was at Georgia. I think he knows what to do with that talent more than somebody like Al Golden or Randy Shannon or all these sort of, you know, substitute teachers that were coaching Miami for the past decade when they were sort of in this malaise. Uh, so maybe Mark Rick pulls them out of this, but I, I still feel like maybe I have to see it before it happens. So let's put it this way. Whoever I pick to win the Coastal next year in at the ACC kickoff, I will do so with no uh, – you know, <laughs> nothing behind that, no confidence behind that pick whatsoever. Well, you know my gambling philosophy is, is trying to find value. Uh, if I were to put $10 on any team in the Coastal, I'd probably do it on Miami, you know, because I think, you know, if you look at the Coastal, it's a manageable slate. You do have that tech game at home. 85 to 1 is better than 50 to 1 in terms of value. Um, and if you're saying they're about even, uh, you know, on almost even terms as teams, then your value pick is probably the 85 to one. But then you look at the Atlantic, <laughs> and you got to you realize in order to get into the playoff, first of all, you'd have to not have you know multiple losses probably, and then you'd have to beat uh, a Florida State, a Clemson, or a Louisville on the other side in all likelihood. And those teams are all 20 to one or better odds to win the national title. So um, tough road regardless, but. I think there is, you know, I, I would feel very squarely about taking any of those Atlantic teams to win the whole thing because it's just such a, a rough road you've got to navigate just to get into the playoff. So you would take those teams? Or you you would be, you'd be hesitant to I, take I, them at, at the value that they're that they're. I mean, at like twenty to one? No, you know, no. I, I mean, you've got games against. If you take, let's say, Clemson, you got to beat Florida State and you got to beat Louisville in all likelihood, and then you got to beat whoever comes out of the coastal. Uh, to me, that's that's too much work to get in for a twenty to one bet. I mean, for for I don't tie up my money for an entire year anyway. I you know I'm more about the action, but the you know Virginia Tech, you can see a scenario where Virginia Tech wins the coastal with a very good record, and then you know you just got to beat you got to beat whoever comes out of the Atlantic. You got to win one game you're not supposed to win. Um, that's a lot easier, I think, than winning two games you're not supposed to win and then beating a team that's uh, you know, proven itself on the other side of the bracket. Well, I would look at it slightly different in that, you know, in the playoff era now, they give you a little margin of error if you lose a game. Yeah. And uh, you have to build a resume to be considered national championship caliber. So the fact that Clemson plays Louisville and plays Florida State, I think it has those marquee win possibilities on its schedule that, uh, you know, it lost a game last year to Pittsburgh and still made the, the, the final four, the, you know, the college football playoff. I, I think – uh, there's more resume building opportunities for teams in the Atlantic if you want to get in that playoff discussion than there is for somebody like Virginia Tech, where we are a little different this year because they do play Clemson. Uh, but other than that, you know, West Virginia's uh, fringe top 25 team, Miami would, would probably be ranked. I mean, those are probably the teams you're talking about on their schedule that are sort of the marquee games or ones that, you know, at the end of the season, you go, that was a really good win for this team. Whereas, in the Atlantic, I think there's more opportunities for that. Do you find it odd at all that, that North Carolina is behind Georgia Tech on those odds? No. I'm actually surprised that uh, Pittsburgh is the same as North Carolina. I would put Pittsburgh a little bit higher. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I, I actually like Georgia Tech as a dark horse in the Coastal just because – you know, people will be down on, the, oh, they lost Justin Thomas from last year. It's like, well, that backup quarterback looked pretty good running that offense against Virginia Tech last year. Uh, it seems like just when you have the lowest expectations possible for Paul Johnson, he comes out of nowhere and wins the division and saves his job and, you know, goes to a pretty good bowl game and then has that, you know, snarky look on his face like, well, what did you expect? This is what we do. 
Uh, I feel like in a in a year like this where the division looks like it's down and people have lost so much stuff, um, maybe a consistent program like Georgia Tech that plugs guys into place in this offense and uh, every now and then finds the, the pieces for a pretty good defense, maybe that might be enough to do it because you know that it's going to be a bear to play that offense all the time. That that doesn't change on a year-to-year basis. Uh, I think maybe uh, you look at the loss of a quarterback and you go, well, they have no shot when in fact they have a, a capable replacement right there. We just went through what a lot of people consider to be the greatest day or two days in sports, which is those first two rounds of the ACE, or the first two days of the ACE NCAA tournament. Not this year. They were boring. They were. I contend that Monday is, is my favorite sports day of the year, and uh, and it's not because they're going to crown a national champion, although that is a nice uh, icing on the cake for that day. But it's opening day in baseball. You and I are both baseball fans. I w- was talking to you off air. You're a Twins fan. Uh, you grew up in Minnesota. I respect your 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 loyalty to your twins for sure, but I am disappointed that you have no plans at all for opening day to to really. I mean, you you said if they're on TV, I'll watch them, but uh, I'm not going to seek them out in any way. Well, I mean, if they're not on TV, I don't know how you watch a them. Sports bar or something. Uh, you can come to my house. I got a I got a you know, the the package. We can watch it. I'll probably find. Don't they give you that package for free in the first week? Oh yeah, yeah. If you've got so, the, yeah. I think that's that's what I'll do to watch it. I really like opening day. I they kind of screwed up opening day. I mean, it used to be like Monday was opening day, and it's like this is a national holiday. Kids in Cincinnati take off school all the time. That that's just sort of the traditional opening day. And now, you know, they extended to the Sunday night opener, which was okay. It just kind of feels weird. Now there's like three games on Sunday that start at one. It's like one, four, and seven. It's like what? What are you doing here? They screwed it up a couple years ago. They played some games in Australia and Japan that counted. Uh, it's like just start opening day on on the Monday. Like I just well, like I, mean, I like the Monday. Everybody plays throughout the day. There's bunting all over the stadiums. It feels like a real big deal with this stuff. Not bunting like bunting the like bunting the right. your red, white, and blue stuff that's on the side of the the stadiums. But uh, yeah, I just wish they would go back to that. You know, Mondays where everything opens. I just like that. But I mean, they're not going to do it for obviously. You get big TV ratings when you play a game on Sunday night like that. But uh, I kind of miss the old days with that. See, but Sunday is Martinsville Speedway race, so I mean, I'm going to be immersed in, in NASCAR that day. And so I mean, I, I may follow it online, but it's not. It doesn't have that feel anyway. Monday, I'm telling you, man. I, I'm going to have sausages simmering at noon. I'll be popping the top on an ale at some point early in the day. Pre-noon. Um, yeah. You said pre-noon uh, Probably the 11. Podcast. Probably 11, yes. Uh, Is that the acceptable point at which it's like, eh, it's close enough to noon. I can crack a beer and not feel totally <laughs> It's 5 o'clock in Oscar <laughs> Bradburn's homeland, okay? It's, it's, it's 5 o'clock there. But, yeah, no, it's just – it's so great. I love every I – and mean, I, I try to get all my work done over the week. It does work out nicely that – that, you know, I work like a 14-hour day the day before, so, you know, sort of the boss gives me a little bit of a break the, the following day after Martinsville, but even if he didn't, I would work it out where I backloaded my week, and uh, I used to go to opening day every week, or every year, um, and I'm so, I'm sad that that's kind of ended, but, you know, I've got a family now, and it's hard to get, you know, kids out of school for, expensive two, for two days. It's expensive. They price me price me a little bit out of there because they've, you know, really jacked up the prices for opening day tickets. Um, and the demand's higher, so I understand that that's why they've done it. But uh, I still make it a I make it an event. And I'm curious, was there anything that I mean, in Super Bowl? I mean, is there anything that you just make a complete sporting of, just as a fan, not as a you know like? I mean, we all watch everything, you know, all the college football that we can. But I mean, do you? 
Uh, college football national playoff? Do you do you? You know, it, you, you, nothing anymore, really. Huh. It's it's tougher now, especially with a kid. It's a lot tougher to do that. I'll tell you one one interesting thing that like a decade ago when I was in Lynchburg uh, with a couple guys is we just like went all out for the draft, the NFL draft. And when they had it on one day and it started at like noon on a Sunday and we would just be drinking all day and eating like that was like an event. And it was just like three or four of us that would just get hammered while watching the NFL draft. That was really fun, and I don't really know if I have an event like that. Like, you know, Masters Sunday, I will sit there and I will watch the whole thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm just – I'm a golf fan like that. I, I'm just riveted by the final round of the Masters. Yeah. I, I got to go to a practice round a couple – you know, probably seven years ago, something like that. So I love the course. I love seeing it and be like, oh, I've been there. I remember that whole uh, – so I'll, I'll watch that whole thing. But it's not like it's an event where I get people together and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's good to have at least one of those in your life. You know, one Maybe I need to carve one out at I this point. I think you should. I think you should. I'm, you know, as much as you like baseball, I think I think the Twins would be a, a good candidate. I mean, I know where you're, where you're at with your Twins because they're going to be out of the race probably by July. Uh, that Maybe was they'll my... surprise some people this year. Maybe Irv Santana can turn into a number one starter at age thirty-eight. Whatever is that's right. He's, they signed him for like three years, didn't they? Yeah, it's rough. If they signed like him in Alaska with the same. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, they have no young pitching coming up. Maybe Jose Barrios, but ah, oh, it's rough. It's yeah, rough. This is part of the reason why I don't get the baseball package because you know mid July I'm like, oh, this team they're twenty games out. I don't know if I want to commit uh, three and a half hours of watching them tonight. Yeah, but I mean, the, even when the Orioles were woeful year after year after year, and I guess that's why it was easier to get opening day tickets. But opening day, you know, you could you could be one to know. They you, they had a really good record on opening day. They they'd lose a hundred games, but they'd win opening day every year. It was amazing. Well, here's the thing is. They'll have a surprise year out of nowhere. A couple years, two years ago, when Molitor was their first year manager, they they were in the playoff hunt all the way to like the last day, the last week of the season. That was a real surprise. That team had no business doing that. I think they were like something like twenty five and eight in one run games. I mean, something that's going to re- revert to the mean the next, their regress to the mean the next season, and it did. And they were horrible, the worst team in baseball. But you never know when that's going to happen, when that breakout season is going to happen. As a as a fan, that's always my favorite part of being a sports fan. Uh, of a certain team is when there's no expectations for them and they just start to pull out of that, you know, dip that they've had, that, that sort of uh, ebb, what it would be an ebb or flow, the, the, ebb, the yeah. ebb in the the franchise of how good they are because there's no expectations. You know, they win some stuff. It's usually some young players that are on the rise and it's just like, this is a good time to be a fan of this team. Like when the twins were in the dark days, of the nineties and early two thousands, they almost got contracted uh, then that that group of guys, Tory Hunter, Justin Morneau, and then Joe Maurer came along eventually, uh, a little bit after that. But that first wave of guys when they came through won the division. Jock Jones, Matt Lawton, when that group got over the hump to win the division, it's like that was man those horrible years of watching this team, and finally they get the, to the playoff. That was really fun. So, you know, you never know when that'll happen. Hopefully that's this year with the Twins. I doubt that's the case, but uh, you know everybody's 0-0 on opening day. But aren't you comforted by the fact that we're going to have baseball now? I mean, like, Oh, yeah, that's great. That's... As a fantasy baseball nerd like myself, I really enjoy that day-to-day. Like, oh, it's a brand-new day of stats, possibly, and stuff. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I really – I've enjoyed baseball. It's my favorite sport, so I just enjoy it uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, all the time when it's on. Your priorities change as you get older. I mean, you don't live and die with the results as much, but it is still nice to be – cooking a burger and listening to a game uh, you know on a, on a Tuesday night you know when you 
you don't have any work to do and your work's done for the day and you can just kick back and enjoy weather and and baseball. I mean, I told I, you you would wax poetic about baseball uh, on this thing. I'm, I'm excited. Who do you have winning the World Series this year? The World Series? Yes. Who do you have in it? And who do you have winning it? I mean, it's hard to pick against the Cubs again. I mean, they're loaded for bear. I mean, it, you know, what's their weakness? You know, I, I think the tough the, to repeat. I think the Red Sox erred in in trading Moncada and um, and Kopech. I mean, having saw those, haven't seen those guys in Salem last year. Uh, I don't, you know. Sale, yeah, he's great. I mean, he's finished in the top five of the Cy Young voting every year. But it's, uh, you know, do you really want a lefty in a Fenway Park? I mean, all those things. I hope so. He's on my fantasy team. So. Oh, is he? Yeah. yeah, I don't like that pick. I'm going with uh, the Indians to beat the Dodgers in the World Series. Dodgers, huh? Big Corey Seager You guy, can't right? go with the Cubs again. Two years in a row – it's sort of the you know disease of more thing that they talk about where you know it's tougher everybody kind of gets fat and happy and wants a bigger part and, and maybe that's less so in baseball because it's such an individual sport but uh, yeah it's tough to repeat it's tough to have all those things go right for you you know they didn't have a lot of injuries last year that catches up to you Dodgers have a lot of talent I'll go with something different Indians over the Dodgers yeah I mean I haven't looked at the odds but I'm telling you that the odds are going to say that the Cubs are favored I mean the Cubs oh are, I guarantee you that yeah. I mean they're they're loaded. They're loaded for the foreseeable future. Who yeah. would have ever thought that with so, the Cubs? I mean, that's, that's a logical pick. This is a team that's loaded. Uh, speaking of loaded, locked and loaded for the national title game in basketball. We'll, we'll kick it off or we'll uh, say goodbye with our picks to win the – this is not going to be surprising because I think we've done it – we've done three podcasts now where we've said the same thing. Yeah, nothing's um, changed <laughs> with my North Carolina pick, especially with all the other teams I thought would be in the Final Four lost, a particularly brutal way for my Badgers to lose last week. It was a good run, but man, to, to send it to overtime with Florida blowing the lead down the, the stretch and then to blow the lead back to Florida and yeah. lose on that, what was a, an amazingly easy run down the court in four seconds and wide open three-point shot that ended up being about 15 feet because he shot it on the run. Uh, that kind of stunk. Yeah. <laughs> that was a horrible way for the tournament to end. But you know, I put a lot of stock in teams that had been in the Final Four before making the Final Four. So Gonzaga was not on my list. Oregon was not anywhere on my list. South Carolina, I had them out in the first round. Yeah. I had them losing to SMU in the first round. Uh, so I'm a little bit surprised by this Final Four, to say the least. And yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I don't really have a rooting interest in any of this. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not in a money bracket or anything, so I'm not like living and dying with North Carolina. But I think you have to look at the, the experience and the talent that's out there right now. And you'd have to say North Carolina is by far the favorite. No. Do you find it interesting then that the Gonzaga is the Vegas favorite to win the whole thing? Is that because they have an easier I guess. Uh, final four or, uh, you know, on the face of it, an easier final four. Yeah. Magic. They got South Carolina, right? They, yeah. They, and then, so they, I guess most people are penciling them in into a final regardless. And I think Oregon at four to one to win the title is probably your best value bet. I don't think South Carolina is going to win it. Um, you know, I, Gonzaga at like seven to five, that just seems skimpy to me. Like you'd be better off betting them like on the money line to win this game, and then betting them on the money line to win the next game, parlaying whatever you want. Because I think you'll get better odds than seven to five. They can get to the the national championship game with not having beaten anybody higher than a five seed. Yeah, that gives me a little bit of pause. Yeah, there. I don't know. Like, good for them. I'm glad that sure. they made it. I'm glad they got over that hump because they've been such a consistent program. I still have my doubts about them going up against a team like North Carolina. Yeah. If they play them. Yeah, we both picked North Carolina to going into this bracket. It's about the only thing we've gotten right. Um, so we'll stick with that. I mean, I think uh, you know that would make a lot of people around here happy. I mean, it's a, a big Carolina basketball contingent in this state, and of course nationally, they're they're 
very well liked too. So um, we'll see what we'll see what happens with that. Do we want to bash college basketball coaches? Uh, we talked off air about a possible uh, five minutes of bashing coaches. We can just, we can leave that for another time. Yeah, it sounds good. Okay, we'll <laughs> <laughs> leave. That'll be on the, the be on the edge of your seat to think what what the heck we're even talking about here. That'll be our cliffhanger for today. Bashing college basketball coaches on a future episode. Um, Andy, I'm surprised we had a, we had a good amount to talk about this week. I'm assuming we're going to have enough to talk about next week. Well, it's yeah. amazing what you can talk about when you actually get to talk to some people yeah. and see a portion of practice. We won't we won't get to see a portion of practice by next week, but you know we'll have another round of interviews. And uh, I don't think there'll be any Aussies that we get to talk to that are brand new, but. Yeah, we'll find somebody. Maybe Pimpleton will come out and you'll get the chance. It'd be nice. I'd like to talk to to Khalil. That'd be an interesting story. Okay, we'll follow all of his coverage online at uh, Roanoke.com. I'm also doing a daily blog. Uh, Sometimes it has tech football in it. Sometimes it doesn't. I get more into that in the fall. But uh, certainly Andy is your place to go for uh, all your tech football news and and needs. So uh, that'll about do it for today. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. We'll see you next time.